I think that you would agree that life is beautiful, that life is wonderful, that it truly is a gift from God. In this section of scripture, we're challenged by Solomon to live joyfully. There's so many things that are uncertain in our lives. Things change, things come, they go. That one of the applications of that is to truly redeem the time, to seize the day, to live joyfully with those that God has put us in relationship with. Solomon is showing us where all of the things are empty, where all of the things are meaningless, so that we can really see where there is a true value. So let's jump right in and let's look at verse 1 this morning. For I consider all this in my heart so that I could declare it all. Solomon considers these things inside of his heart so that he can articulate them. That's a good pattern for us. Take time to meditate, to pray, to think things through so when it comes time to share, it's organized in our hearts and our minds. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. So for those that are following the Lord, that are walking in wisdom, your wisdom and your works are in the hands of God. Ultimately showing that God is the one who allows the wisdom. God is the one who allows these works that glorify himself. That he's sovereign, that he's in control of our lives. People know neither love nor hatred by anything that they see before them. If we don't have the perspective of God, the perspective of his word, how are we going to know love? How are we going to know right and wrong? And Solomon says that doesn't take place by observing what's in front of them. All these things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath is he who fears an oath. So similar events happen to the wise and the righteous. There's things that will cause wisdom to benefit our lives. Wisdom keeps us from sinful choices and the consequences thereof, but there is an element where whether you're walking in wisdom or you're walking in foolishness, there's simply trials in this life. And this actually leads to Solomon's point to enjoy God and enjoy his provision because you never know when a trial is around the corner. So if you're taking notes, the first reason to enjoy God and his provision is the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So enjoy what God has provided. Enjoy those gifts that he has given. Enjoy those that you're in relationship with. If you get a flat tire or the tire explodes, what happened there? Was that an attack of the enemy? Possibly. But more than likely, it's the rain falling on the just and the unjust. Did the tire blow because you were walking in foolishness? Maybe if you were speeding or maybe if you didn't have the adequate air in the tire. But, but tires just explode, don't they? It's part of this fallen world. Things go from order to, to disorder. So we don't know when there's going to be suffering. We don't know when there's going to be trial. So enjoy the Lord. Live joyfully. Enjoy those people that God has placed in your life. Verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. Solomon is choosing to look at things from an under-the-sun perspective, absent from a relationship with God, so that when he gets to the end of the book and says this is the conclusion of the whole matter, 
that you would fear God and do his commands that all of a sudden we go, yeah, that is so deep. That's what really causes life to make sense. But absent from an eternal perspective, it's frustrating that the same things happen to the wise and the foolish. It's frustrating that a person of wisdom and a person of foolishness both get cancer. It's frustrating that the wise and the foolish both go through hard times financially if we're not seeing it through that lens of eternity. In verse 4, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Isn't that true? What would you rather be? A dead lion or a living dog? A dead lion is majestic and powerful and, and awesome, right? But they're dead. And here's a dog that, man, isn't that great, isn't that wonderful compared to the lion, but he is, is living. We would rather be the living dog. What stood out to me in this phrase is, but for him who is joined to all the living. Who's the ultimate one who's living? Christ. He conquered the grave. And so as we're joined to Christ, we have life. As we join to Christ, we've overcome death. And verse 5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So once you die, from an earthly perspective, from what we experience here, there's no more reward. You're not going to earn any more paychecks in, in this life. Eventually, your memory is forgotten. Grandkids probably remember. Great-grandkids may remember. A couple of generations at most, but eventually, we will for, be forgotten. Also, all of our actions and attitudes are forgotten as well. Our love, our hatred, our envy, they perish. Once you die, you can't come back and love someone again. You can't come back and get really mad at someone again. All of those things have perished with you and you no longer share in anything that's under the sun. So this is a second reason to enjoy God and his provisions is we only have one life to live. We only have one life to live. Even though life is good and God is good, so many times we go through our days not being joyful, right? We go through our days grumbling, complaining, now the weather's too cold. A few weeks ago, it was too hot, right? My coffee was too dark. It was too blonde. I don't know about you guys, but who came up with blonde coffee? I guess I'm just too old, you know? I'm starting to get a taste for it a little bit because every coffee shop now has it as their drink of choice, right? See, I'm just getting going. I can complain about everything, right? And yet to realize, I only get this day once. We only get today once, and then we're going to die at some point, hopefully not today, right? So why not enjoy the Lord? Why not enjoy his provision? Why not enjoy the people that he has placed in our lives? You only get one shot at it. We can live in regret, and we go, man, I wish I would have lived joyfully 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago. But we have this day and the day moving forward. And for God to do a work in our hearts to cause us to be in a place of joy. In verse 7, we really get to the heart and the meat of this chapter. Go eat your bread with joy 
and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Go eat your bread with joy. Solomon's saying, here's something that's meaningful in the midst of all of the emptiness and all of the vanity and the uncertainty, is eat your bread with a joyful heart. God has created us with the need for food. He could have created us in another way, but instead he decided that we needed food. When he created Adam and Eve, he created the Garden of Eden, and he blessed them with all kinds of wonderful food. We have to stop and eat. What's the purpose of having to stop and eat? That hopefully we'll enjoy the Lord. That hopefully we'll say, God, thank you for providing this for me. You have caused the plants to grow. You have caused this cow to eat the grass and be slaughtered and now become my hamburger. Like Without your hand on this, none of this would, would work. Veggies are your thing. The Lord made them grow, right? Fruit's your thing. The Lord made them grow. And to stop and to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for who you are. Also, food brings us together with people. Even in our culture where we're busy, how many times would we not see people if it wasn't for food? It brings us to that point of spending time with family, with friends. Business relationships are done over food. And to say, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend time with this person. It's a gift. Because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So I could easily have not made it to this meal because of something that came up. But I'm here. And you have provided this. Death is certain. I've only got one life to live, but I'm here right now. They're here right now, so I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to eat it with joy. Verse 8 is a declaration that Solomon's desiring prosperity, that your garments would be white and your head would lack no oil. Both speak of prosperity. Verse 9, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for it is your portion in life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Solomon just did some trash talking right up in there. He just said your life was vain, right? Your life was, was empty. This word vain in the Hebrew, it speaks of breath. It speaks of vapor. As it's getting cold in the mornings, the evenings, we're going to begin to see our breath, won't we? And that speaks of an empty life or a vain life. It's quick. It, it passes. So in light of the fact that there's emptiness and our lives are, are this vapor that, that perishes, here's what we're to do. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. Third reason to enjoy God and his provision is this is our portion in life. This is what God has given to us in life. All of these things are uncertain. All of these things are changing, but a gift from the Lord is to be able to enjoy companionship inside of marriage. So this does teach us how God sees marriage. God sees marriage as a good thing. Culture and society doesn't see it as a good thing, but God sees it as a good thing. In Proverbs, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. God doesn't even say, he who finds a good wife finds a good thing, right? He just says, if you find a wife, you find a, a good, good thing. 
We're studying Genesis on Wednesday nights. This Wednesday will be in Genesis 2, where we see God creating Adam and God creating Eve, this first marriage, and so many principles for, for marriage. But when we think of life, we think of a relationship with the Lord, and another tremendous gift that God gives is marriage, to enjoy companionship throughout our lives and to live joyfully together with your spouse. If you're married, are you living joyfully with your spouse? Are you committed to loving them all of your days? What gets in the way of living joyfully together? If we're not careful before long, we're not living joyfully with one another. We're at odds with one another. We're on each other's nerves. In that first part of marriage, maybe the first few weeks, the first year, there's this tremendous investment that is, is taking place many times where conversation with one another is the absolute priority, putting the other person's needs before your own. But as we continue to journey in marriage, it's easy to get busy. Usually kids come along, right? So we're busy. Work is involved trying to make our way through life. If we're not careful, then we start to become selfish not caring for our spouse's needs. And before you know it, there's this drifting that starts to take place and division that starts to take place. So what is it maybe in your marriage? Is it the wrong attitude, a little bit of selfishness that's entered inside of us? But one of the greatest things that we can do in life is to enjoy our spouse, to live joyfully, to continue to invest in that relationship. Outside of the relationship with the Lord, the greatest relationship that we're to invest in is our relationship with our spouse. It represents Christ in the church. Kids come after the marriage relationship. The best gift that we can give to our kids is a healthy relationship. God's design is for kids to move out. Right? Hopefully, Lord willing. But I love my kids. But I want them all to be able to move out and launch out into life at the right time. At the right time, right? God doesn't want them in your home for the rest of their lives. They will not grow into the adults that God wants them to be when it is the right time. But who do you want to stay? Your spouse. Hopefully your spouse stays when the kids go, right? So continue to invest in that marriage relationship. Find time, make time for, for one another. Care for each other's needs. There's also an application uh, for this if you're single. Because the principle of verse 9 is to enjoy the relationships that God has provided in your life. Your family, your friends, your co-workers. Yes, this is lived out in marriage, but it's also lived out in the relationships that God has, has blessed us with. Are you enjoying the relationships that God has placed in your life? It's easy for us to get relationship envy, isn't it? We look at other people and we say, man, it would be really great to have them for friends. It'd be really great to have them for coworkers. It'd be really nice if uh, we got some different neighbors, right? Instead of going, this is who God has placed in my life. This is my family, this is my friends, these are my co-workers, so whether married or single, to live joyfully with those that God has put you in relationship with. Everything's in God's hands. We live where we live 
by his hand. We're in the family that we're in by his hand. You don't get to choose your own family, right? You're in the job that God has you in because that's the job he has for you. And so instead of fighting that and going, man, I'm kind of sick of this person, to be able to say, Lord, thank you. This is my portion. This is your provision in my life, and I'm going to seek to live joyfully with them. Verse 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. If there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. In light of all of Scripture, is there work that's going to be done in heaven? Yes. We get to rule and reign with Christ. Christ is going to have things for us to do, but it's going to be work without the curse being present. But from Solomon's perspective, what, what he's highlighting in verse 10 is this life is the only opportunity that you have to do work here on this earth. So do it with all of your mind. In light of all these things that are changing, enjoy the Lord, enjoy the people that God has placed you in, enjoy the work that God has given you to do. I like how it's worded, whatever your hand finds to do, because our hands find a lot of things to do. And some things we love, and some things we hate. Some things we get appreciated for, other things nobody notices. And whatever our hands find to do, to do it with our might. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Do it unto the Lord. Verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. This is right after this exhortation to work with all of your might. What happens when we start working with all of our might? There's an expectation that it's going to lead to earthly good. That we're going to get ahead. Now sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes God allows that. You work hard, you get the raise, you get the promotion. You work hard, you get the college degree, and that works out to a better work opportunity, right? But does it always happen that way? No. Not if we're honest, because the swift don't always win the race. Sometimes it's not the fastest that win. They trip, and they lose the race. Sometimes it's not the strongest who win the battle. It's not always the wise who have bread. It's not always the rich. Men of understanding are not always rich. And so we have to understand in the midst of this, I'm doing my work unto the Lord, and I may experience the fruit of it, or I may not experience the fruit of it. We've all seen and known people that have walked in wisdom and worked hard, and from the earthly perspective, they don't have a lot to show for it right? So I think Solomon is saving us from that ultimate disappointment and saying, I'm doing this for the Lord and trusting God for the results. And verse 12, for a man also doesn't know his time like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. If you go fishing, right? Throw out the, the hook, put some bait on it, and the fish is like, oh, that looks like an amazing worm right there. What is this bright color, this thing called power bait? Bam, they go for it. And the next thing they know, this worm bites back. It's on. And you're rejoicing, gotcha, sucker. Woo! 
If you fish, that's the whole point, right? It's fun. But the fish is caught by surprise. A bird caught in a trap is caught by surprise. Death oftentimes comes upon us by surprise. We didn't see it coming. One of the things that I've noticed and been paying attention to as I've lived in Colorado for some time is our roads are getting more and more unsafe. Our city has had 40 people this year die in traffic accidents. That's a lot of people. That's almost one a week in our city. Someone's dying in a traffic accident. This week on I-25, another person died and, and passed away. For the state, for the whole state, we're at 436 people dying in traffic accidents. It's the most dangerous thing that you do all day. But when I get in my car, do I think that it's dangerous? Absolutely not, right? It's normal. I'm expecting to get wherever I'm going to go, but it's not a guarantee. Even if we don't die in a tragic car accident and we live a nice full life, when death does come, it still seems to take us by surprise. Even though we hear messages like this, this is for someone else, right? Have you ever met somebody your own age and you kind of go, you know, they seem kind of old. And you realize, hey, we're the same age. Do I look like that? Am I that guy? It's like, oh my goodness, I am that guy, right? Because in our own perspective of our own selves, oftentimes we still see ourselves as 25, right? It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not 25 any longer. Verse 13, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. So you've got a wise man who rescues his city. This great king with his huge army comes and surrounds the city. Doesn't seem like there's any way for them to survive, but this brave, poor, wise man steps up, rescues the city, but no one remembers him. He's forgotten. In verse 16, then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words or are not heard. What Solomon's dealing with in this section of Ecclesiastes is really interesting. He's taking wisdom. He's taking a moralistic perspective, what we would consider to be a good person, absent a relationship with God, absent eternal view, and he's showing us it's still emptiness if you don't have a relationship with Christ. Because just from an under-the-sun perspective, someone can walk in great wisdom, but they're forgotten here on this earth. Someone can have great wisdom, but that doesn't mean people are going to listen. And this poor person is not heard even though they have great wisdom. Verse 17, I think, applies to our day. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. It seems like political leaders like to shout foolishly. It was happening in Solomon's day. There's a lot of that happening right now on all political parties. I'm an equal political offender right now, right? There's a lot of shouting that is, is taking place, a lot of foolishness that is taking place. So to hear wisdom, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to 
that word spoken softly because wisdom doesn't have to be shouted in a foolish manner. Wisdom is truth, and truth can be shared calmly in love. In verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Through wisdom, peace is made. How many times has there been peace instead of war because of wisdom, but it only takes one sinner to come and destroy that peace? So from just an earthly perspective, this is another aspect where wisdom is frustrating. And it brings us to our fourth reason in our text. Enjoy God and his provision because wisdom doesn't always meet our earthly expectations. Wisdom doesn't always meet our earthly expectations. If we're following God and we're living wisely and we've tied earthly expectations to it, it may not always work out that way. You might say, I've really applied myself to godly wisdom and I want people to hear me. Well, they may or they may not. There's a lot of people in scripture that had godly wisdom and did exactly what God wanted them to do, but nobody listened. Nobody listened to Jeremiah. But Jeremiah wasn't living for an earthly expectation. He was being obedient to God. I think we need to be careful in this because if we're honest, when it comes to obedience to God, oftentimes we attach some earthly expectation to it. And that becomes our motivation. If I do this, I'm going to get this. If I do this, I'm, I'm going to get this. But why do we obey God? Because he's good. Because he's asked us to follow him. And whether we see the results or we don't, in light of eternity, it's going to be worth it. Saying, I'm doing this to be in relationship with you, walking in obedience to you, not because I'm desiring some earthly expectations. So let's do some self-evaluation. That's always fun, isn't it? Okay, let's just evaluate those that are close to us. Let's do some spouse evaluation, right? No. Let's, let's do some self-evaluation for just a moment. Do we go through our days living joyfully? If we were able to spend time with Jesus in his earthly life, do you think he was joyful? Absolutely. In fact, the Bible tells us that he had joy above all of his fellows. He was the most joyful person on the planet. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to try to conjure up joy in my life. I'm tired of being Captain Grumpy Pants, so it's time for me to be joyful. But when true joy happens in my life, it happens as I spend time with the joyful one, Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. As we're connected to the vine, then his joy begins to well up inside of our lives. I want to leave you with a story this morning of a family in the Great Depression, struggling to be able to survive, struggling just to be able to have food. It's coming up on Christmas time. They know that they're not going to be able to get gifts for one another. So the dad has an idea. They had some magazines. Let's cut out pictures of things in the magazines that we wish we could give to each other. So it's quite a week, you know, busy cutting out pictures and wrapping them up for each other. Cut down a Charlie Brown tree from the yard. It's Christmas morning. Time to open up these gifts, these, these pictures. 
dad he received in the pictures? A red sports car, right? A speedboat to go out on the lake. Mom got a fur coat and a diamond necklace. Here comes Pete, and he's got his picture wrapped up. He's the son, and he hands it to, to mom and dad. And it's colored. Picture of a man, a woman, a boy around a Christmas tree with their arms around each other. And then he wrote the two letters, us. U.S. Us. And the mom went on to say that was the greatest Christmas gift that she ever got. Were those good circumstances? Were those joyful circumstances from our earthly perspective? No. But why were they joyful? Because that family chose joy, didn't they? That dad got creative and said, I'm going to invest in my family even though I don't have any money. I can't do it in the traditional way. That boy, he said, I'm going to enjoy mom and dad. I've got the, the greatest gift. I've got mom and dad right here. And a lot of times we go, well, if this would change my life, then I could have joy. But I think the decision for us is to choose joy and to say, God, you're good. You in and of yourself are good. I'm going to spend time with you, and I'm going to enjoy your provision. I'm going to enjoy the simple things that you've provided in my life, and I'm going to enjoy the people that you have put in my life. So let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in and of yourself, you're joyful. That as you walked this planet, you were filled with joy. And God, we just pray this morning that you would help us to get out of despair and despondency and discouragement, to lift our eyes to you, to celebrate your goodness, and to celebrate the people that you've placed in our lives. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.